I, uh, I did send some notes out. I did not uh, go make copies because I didn't figure I would get to those uh, due to the time factor. But let's start, pick up where we left off last Wednesday night in Acts chapter 23. And uh, I want to start uh, in verse 23 uh, where <clears throat> that the Bible says, and again, this is Luke. He's telling uh, the story about where that uh, kind of in the part that Paul is now being pointed in a direction where he's going to end up in Rome. And uh, God is going to use some bad men uh, to get him to that place. And sometimes God uses bad men to do good things. And, uh, and so that's sort of where Paul is at. Uh, but beginning in verse 23, the Bible says there, uh, and he called unto him two centurions, saying, this man's name is, is Lysias, uh, and he called unto him two centurions, saying, Make ready 200 soldiers to go to Caesarea, and horsemen threescore and ten, and spearmen 200 at the third hour of the night. And provide them beasts that they may set Paul on, and bring him safe unto Felix the governor. And he wrote a letter after this manner, Claudius Lysias unto the most excellent governor Felix sending, sendeth greeting. This man was taken of the Jews and should have been killed of them. And then I came with an army and rescued him, having understood that he was a Roman. And when I would have known the cause Wherefore they accused him, I brought him forth unto their counsel, whom I perceived to be accused of the questions of their law, but to have nothing laid to his charge worthy of death or of bonds. And when it was told me how that the Jews laid wait for the man, I sent straightway to thee and gave commandment to his accusers also to say before thee what they had against him farewell. Now he uh, we had read earlier in the chapter there were 40 men that they wanted to kill and they wanted to murder him. And uh, so now he's kind of intervened and he's going to kind of get him out of the way and send him to Caesarea, which is along the coast of the Mediterranean Sea. Then the soldiers, as it was commanded them, took Paul and brought him by night to Antipatris, and on the morrow they left the horsemen to go with him and return to the castle, who when they came to Caesarea and delivered the epistle to the governor, presented Paul also before him. And when the governor had read the letter, he asked of what province he was. And when he understood that he was of Cilicia, I will hear thee, said he, when thine accusers are also come, and he commanded him to be kept in Herod's judgment hall. And uh, so, so now this conspiracy that has developed against Paul uh, is going to just crumble up. It's just going to, it's, it's somewhat going to go away uh, where that these men tried to get their hands on him because they, they literally were trying uh, to kill him. And so whenever he comes into contact with this, this man named Claudius, Lysias, who's the guy that's kind of this in charge of the fort, the castle uh, there, he, uh, he says, I'm going to protect this man because not only is he a Jew, but he's also a Roman citizen. 
And so he said, I, I have a responsibility uh, to take care of this man because he, he didn't want it against uh, his resume that he had allowed a uh, band of Jewish assassins to come along and, and to kill the Apostle Paul. And uh, again, I, I don't think that uh, he realized the magnitude of who uh, the Apostle Paul was. And uh, I, I can't help but, but just think about that sometimes whenever we look uh, at people, uh, we, have a, we have a tendency to stereotype people. I think that's just kind of a normal uh, thing that we do. We, you, you, you make stereotypes, and if they're not tall and thin and handsome and, and good-looking, you kind of you dismiss them and you think, you know, they're whatever, so on. So I'm kind of lobbying tonight for the short and bald-headed and overweight and... Uh, Gone to seed over the hill, uh, but but anyways, I, I I would just say this about, uh, of course, brother, you've heard me tell stories about brother Kelsey Griffin, um, and I can remember my brother-in-law talking to me about brother Griffin before I got to TBC, and uh, you know when you when you meet brother Griffin and you come in contact with him, he's a very slight man, probably about the size of brother Robert Redden. And um, not much on physical presence that when you see him, uh, he's not, he doesn't have an arresting appearance. He really does not have something that you're going to say, you know, this is a guy that just, you've been around people when they when somebody walks in the room, it's just like the entire room just kind of looks and says, who is that person? Uh, Brother Griffin is not one of those kind of men. And, uh, and yet the impact that he uh, had certainly on my life, and I'm just going to say probably hundreds, maybe even thousands of, of men and women and influenced them so that they could do uh, the will of God. And, and I've got a feeling that whenever they looked at the Apostle Paul, because it, it even is throughout the epistles that the Bible speaks to that matter that he was not much on physical presence. That, that you would not have looked twice at him. Uh, you would not have really uh, given him a second look, and yet the impact that this man had on the New Testament world was unbelievable. And so whenever these, these, uh, these political leaders, and there's going to be about three more that he's going to come in contact with once we get into chapter 24 throughout the rest of, uh, of the book that whenever these men saw the Apostle Paul that they literally did not have much of a, um, a he just he didn't do much for them as far as his physical presence goes however because he was a Roman citizen uh, Claudius uh, Lysias decides that he's going to get somewhere almost 500 men come in come in and they are going to escort him in protective custody to get him to uh, Caesarea where that Felix is at. Now, what would happen sometimes is, is that these uh, uh, Jews that were against him, that what they would do is they would say that they were transporting a patient somewhere. They, I'm not a patient, but a prisoner uh, somewhere that there would only be like maybe three, four, maybe ten guards at the max, and what would happen 
is there would be a band of, of assassins that would swoop in and they would kill that prisoner and take that prisoner away uh, from those uh, soldiers. And so uh, Claudius Lysias was aware of that and he's determined, I'm not going to let this happen to the Apostle Paul. And so he moves him up uh, to actually a place that's northwest there uh, of Jerusalem, probably about 45 or 50 miles uh, from there and moves him overnight. It's kind of a hush-hush, quick deal, quick strike, kind of move him along and get him there. And, uh, and then this letter that he writes to him, it's kind of um, a little bit of it is, is somewhat exaggerated. You'll be able to see that uh, in the next chapter whenever Tertullus, who is a kind of a orator, lawyer sort, that gets up and begins uh, to speak his piece about it, you'll begin to see that this letter... Uh, that that Lysias wrote to Felix is a little exaggerated, uh, more so not for Paul, but for Lysias. It kind of paints him in a good light uh, toward Felix. But but again, um, I think that what we have to look at is to realize is that these men's plans came to nothing. And uh, I feel certain that probably all of us at some point in your working life, that wherever you worked at in a public job, that there was something happened in that job where that somebody got it in for you and you thought that your your job was going to be in jeopardy, your lifestyle, livelihood was going to be taken away. And, and I know that there are times where uh, when those back, whenever I was still at the hospital, you get, you get job pressure going and you start praying because there's nothing like trouble that makes us pray. And, and, and yet over the years you look back and you realize that despite those plans that those people had, that they literally came to nothing and that they were not able to follow through. What, what is that about? That is about the sovereignty and the providence of God that God is in charge and in control of our lives. I, I would think that probably and, and uh, that the life of David certainly demonstrates that, uh, that whenever you start looking that there uh, were those attempts, there's, there's more than 20 times in uh, the book of 1 Samuel where that uh, Saul sent out people to try to kill David 20 plus times. Uh, if you got a Dakes Bible out in the little margin of that, one of those uh, multiple notes that Dakes puts in, he's got every one of the thing, every one of them mapped out where that these, these people came against uh, David trying, trying to kill him. But David's ultimate end was that the Lord had anointed him and that it did not matter what circumstance of life that he faced, that the Lord ultimately was going to get him into where he was supposed to be. Now, I I don't want to stretch this too much, uh, but I just would tell you as well that sometimes we make our salvation much more fragile than what it is. And I believe that when the Lord fills us with the Spirit, that if there is a steadiness and a faithfulness of life that we have, that the Lord is able 
to help us to maintain our direction. I want you to turn uh, in your Bibles, I want you to turn to that little letter of Jude. And uh, there's a scripture, there are several others that are similar uh, to this one. Uh, but here's what, here's what Jude writes. And keep in mind that Jude is a half-brother of Jesus. And beginning in verse 20, here's what Jude says. He says, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keeping yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Now this next verse, this is what Jude writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to the only wise God our Savior, let us give him glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. Now don't raise your hand. I'm going to ask you a question. How many of you have made some mistakes? How many of you have, have, have sinned? I can't get over verse 24. He's going to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. That's, that's pretty remarkable. That He will put you in that point and inside of us, we're, we're rehearsing in our mind. We're, we're thinking things. Now, Lord, you know about this and you're aware of that and this and so on. And the Lord says, uh, I'm going to present you faultless and that you will be in the presence of God faultless. That's pretty amazing. Now, I mentioned David. Uh, let's backtrack just a moment. If there's a psalm that maybe sums up uh, some of the challenges that, that David faced, it probably, I shouldn't say there's just one, but the, Psalm 56 really sums up some of the good things that um, David goes about, and he's talking about, it's, it's what's called a mictum. Uh, whenever David when the Philistines took him to Gath and that's in that time where he had to act like that he was half mad you remember that he was foaming at the mouth and he was just he was acting like he was crazy uh, because he thought he was fixing to die but, but here's what he says he says be merciful unto me O God for man would swallow me up. He fighting daily oppresseth me. Mine enemies would daily swallow me up, for they be many that fight against me, O thou most high. I love this verse 3. What time I am afraid, I will trust in thee. 
In God, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust. I will not fear what flesh can do unto me. I'm not going to fear what Achish is going to try to do to me. Every day they rest my words and all their thoughts are against me for evil. They're, they're going to say I'm mad. They're going to say I'm crazy. They gather themselves together. They hide themselves and they mark my steps when they wait for my soul. Shall they escape by iniquity? In thine anger cast down the people, O God. Now tell us my wanderings and put thou my tears into thy bottle. Are they not in thy book? And when I cry unto thee, then shall my enemies turn back. This I know, for God is for me. In God will I praise his word, and in the Lord will I praise his word. In God have I put my trust. I will not be afraid what man can do unto me. Thy vows are upon me, O God. I will render praises unto thee, for thou hast delivered my soul from death, and wilt not thou deliver my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Now you've got an Old Testament character here named David. You've got a New Testament character named Paul. And both of those men are in the presence of people that are trying to kill them. And yet, both of them point out the fact that there are, that the sovereignty and the providence of God is, is certainly at work. The, the book of Esther is, that's another place. When you read the book of Esther, you remember that story? She goes in and, and uh, Haman gets it in. He's a bad man. He's like uh, Doeg, the Edomite. You put these three guys in the same category, Judas, uh, Doeg, the Edomite, and Haman, uh, who all Haman's desire is he's going to wipe out the Jews. And yet in the middle of that, when you read through the book of Esther, even though that destruction has been set in motion by Haman, God's going to step in there and he's going to take control of that situation and he's going, to, he's going to minister there. And so whenever we face some of the challenges of life that we face, Philippians chapter 4, verses 5 through 7, let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. You see that part right there, the peace of God? Is that the peace of God literally can work in your heart and in your spirits better than Valium, better than Xanax. It's better than a long list of other things that the peace of God can somehow keep the heart and the mind through Christ Jesus. Look at Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 6 so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. And then in Luke chapter 12, this is kind of a longer reading, uh, but in Luke chapter 12, why don't you turn in your Bible to that? Luke chapter 12 and let's look at verse 22. It's similar to another place uh, in, in the scriptures. I won't tell you where it's at. I'll let you kind of see if it'll prompt your memory. But Luke chapter 12, and look there in verse 22. The Bible says there, And he said to his disciples, 
Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life, what ye shall eat, neither for the body what ye shall put on. The life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are ye better than fowls? I think we heard that Sunday night, didn't we? And which of you taking thought can add to his stature one cubit? If ye then not be able to do that thing which is least, then why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They toil not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. And if then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field and tomorrow is cast into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of little faith? And seek, ye, seek not ye what ye shall eat and what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom and sell that ye have and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in the heavens that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. And so uh, the World Economic Forum is meeting and they're wanting to move toward digital currency and toward a central banking system. You've got nations that are starting to get in alignment according to uh, when we look at scriptures from a dispensational approach. All of these things are moving into place. And if you're not careful, you can get fearful of heart, you can get anxious of mind, and sometimes I would say perhaps not so much for yourself but for your family, your children, and your grandchildren, and yet the word of the Lord is telling us that if the Lord takes care of all of this, then he's going to take care of us as well. And so the question is, well, what if the church has to endure? And there some people have made a delineation between the wrath of the devil and, and uh, between the wrath of God, and I think that's a fair assessment. And they say, well, maybe the tribulation doesn't start until... Uh, the three-and-a-half-year mark, and so what if we do have to endure that? And then here's what I know, that God, just like he's taking care of, of us to this point, he's going to sustain us until the very end. And so what's required of us is to be faithful and to do the will of God and to serve the purpose of God. Because when we do those particular things, then here's what we know. We know that the Lord... Uh, is faithful at every single turn of life. Go back and rehearse in your history. Go, go back and think in your life where there were times where you got into slippery places and, and now you're at a place on uh, December the 14th, 2022, and you're still here. And that situation didn't take you down. That, that trial didn't get the best of you. That whatever calamity it was, it didn't take you down. And so if the Lord has preservation in our past, then the Lord certainly has the same amount of preservation that he can help us with uh, in the future. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 
and look at verse 9. Here is what Paul says. Now, this is information that the enemy don't want you to know. It's kind of insider stuff. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Turn over a page, few pages or so, and look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and look in verse 13. Here is what he writes. He says, There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will with the temptation also make a way of escape that ye may be able to bear it. Turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and look there in verse 18. 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 18. Here's the part where Paul writes. He says, But as God is true, our word toward you was not yea and nay. Here's what he's saying. He said there was no vacillation. He said, here's what we're saying. He said, I'm just telling you now, God is true. And yet look at verse 8. He says, For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia and that we were pressed out of measure above strength insomuch that we even despaired of life. That's the great apostle Paul saying that. He said, I, I got to a place where I literally was despairing to the point that, that I wanted my life to be totally gone and, and consumed. But verse 18, but God is true. Now I want to turn over to one other place and let's look at 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 3, he writes, and again, this is, a, this is another church that's, that is a didn't experience as much persecution as some of them, but, but it was a church under pressure. But here's what he writes. He says, But the Lord is faithful who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And so again, here's, here's what I'm just telling you. Sometimes God will use bad men to accomplish and to do good things. And so now Paul is, is moved on and the trial starts and uh, we got five minutes left so I won't start in because I'm, I've got a little bit of introduction to talk about uh, Felix and uh, so I won't, I won't get into that tonight so why don't we stand and, um, and so we'll, hopefully y'all are, y'all are shocked. But uh, I know some of, you, some of the elders have got a little bit further to drive, Sister Napier and so forth, and I want them to get to the house before the <clears throat> bad weather starts in. But, but again, just, just know this, the Lord is, is with us, and the Lord can help us, and His will and purpose can be accomplished. Let's thank the Lord for that. Lord, I'm thankful, God, for Your Word. I'm thankful, Lord, for the strength, God, that You bring, Lord, to our lives. That God, that there are times, Lord, that you use bad, worldly, evil men, God, to accomplish your purpose and your cause. 
I pray, Lord, that even now, God, in, in our nation, that, Lord, that we look, God, at, at politicians or we look at people, God, that, that are in places of power. It seems like, Lord, that the onslaught, Lord, that they have is against the church and against, God, your people. But I pray, Lord, that somehow, God, let your purpose, God, be worked out while you use them, Lord, to accomplish your cause. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 The Lord bless you. And uh, Sunday morning, 10 o'clock, Sunday school, and then Sunday night, our Christmas program. And the Lord bless you. You're dismissed.